Actually, I'm going to, uh, I was supposed to take a group on tour, but after that performance, I'm going to have to take Mr. McMahon. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. You add a little bongo drum, and man, that's going to be powerful. <laughs> oh, see, what a man of his word, right? Good job. That was actually pretty good. Not bad. Did anybody take that? <laughs> <laughs> you knew that was coming. <laughs> oh. um, strange sign appeared on the desk of a Pentagon official. Here's what it said. The secrecy of my job does not permit me to know what I'm doing. <laughs> Let me read that again because I'm going to bring that over into the spiritual realm. He appeared on his desk, it says, The secrecy of my job does not permit me to know what I am doing. And uh, I, I'm going to change a word because I think with some Christians, this is probably the truth. The sacredness of my job does not permit me to know what I'm doing. How many Christians are going around in life with not a clue as to what they should do? You, you could have a, a Christian in a local church that could have their retirement plan all in place and and could have a good job and a, and a good plan for, for where they're going to get to in life and not have a clue what they're going to do for God or even what they could do for God. And we are coming to the end of this school year, and, and I'm sure that hopefully you have, you have grown in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sure you have. Many, and if not most of you, have. And yet there's still this question about but what does God require of us? What does He expect of us? And I want to take you to 2 Corinthians. Um, and uh, let's turn there together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it begins by the Apostle Paul saying this, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, now, it's interesting that the Apostle Paul, as, as great a man as he was, and as influential as he was, and as great an impact as he made, he said, we have this ministry. We being plural. Being, this is a responsibility of us all. And seeing then that we, we're going to bring it in our context here, we have a ministry. All of us. What does the word ministry mean? In, in, the, in the Greek, it means it refers to serviceable labor. Every business, every calling. It is an office or administration of, a, of the Christian community viewed with the reference that is needed to expand the work of the gospel for the glory of God. Seeing then we have this ministry, Paul says, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And there's a few things that I want to just challenge you to think about here this morning in your walk with God. Number one, ministry is, is a shared responsibility. Seeing that we have this ministry. And uh, I want to challenge you to think about what you're going to do for God long after you leave MBBI because some of you probably feel the call of God in your life to full-time ministry. But there's always people that say, well, you know, I've got a year of Bible school and uh, now I'm going to go on and do what I've always wanted to do. And we'll now leave the work to the professionals, to the people that God has called. 
And Paul said that we, we have this ministry. It's shared. And what, one of my favorite stories told by Chuck Swindle, it's, it's, uh, he tells of when he was in high school. And Chuck Swindle says that when he was in high school, there was a gifted young man named Donald Carpenter uh, who Swindle says could play football like few people I have ever seen. His sophomore year, he made the all-city team of Houston. His junior year, he was all-state unanimous choice. And it was obvious by his senior year that he was going to turn the place upside down on the football field. But the coach made a tragic mistake. Swindoll says in our summer practices before our senior year, he changed all of the plays so that they revolved around Donald Carpenter. Everything hinged on Donald Carpenter. He says everything was great for the first five games. We were hardly scored upon. And then suddenly in the sixth game, first play from scrimmage, Carpenter broke his ankle. Needless to say, the latter part of our season, Swindoll said, was not much to brag about. We lost everything. Why? Because we didn't have a team. We had a one-man show. And the Christian life is not a one-man show. And there's no one person in this room that's going to do all that's needed to be done for Christ. That's for sure. You all have a responsibility as the body of Christ to carry out your God-given ministry. And at this point in the game, you might be saying, I have no idea what that even is. But God has something for you to do. And not all the plays revolve around you, that's for sure. The sooner you realize in the Christian life that, that God is doing some things where you're not, the better off you're going to be. God, God's at work all around the world. God's doing a great, a great work in people's lives. And, and the question is, we need to simply say, God, what is it that you want me to do? The ministry that you're going to entrust to me. But, but here's, the other, here's the other thing I want you to see from verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 4. You see, in that little word, we, not only do we understand that ministry is shared, but here's the other thing. Ministry is owned. We have this ministry. Um, how many people have, could sit in a local church and, and hear a message by a pastor and, and say something like, boy, I sure hope Bob's hearing this. He really needs to hear this message. He really needs to get his life straight with God. And we, we tend to not take ownership of anything. And there was a man in a pastor's office that had sinned against God. And uh, the pastor said, well, what do you think you need to do? And the, pa- the guy says, I, I, I need to get this right with, with, with God. And so the pastor and the man got on their knees, and the man started his prayer off. And he said, oh, Lord, we, we all have sinned. And the pastor stopped him. He said, hold on a second. Don't you drag me into your sin. This is you. This has your name written all over. This has nothing to do with me. And we tend to like to be, to, to just kind of blend into the masses. And, and sometimes, uh, and, and certainly in my travels, when you, when you talk to people that are, that are frustrated with their experience in their local church, and they forget that they're a member of that local church. And so if that church is not the way they want it, guess what? You're a key piece of the puzzle. And yet, they never think of it that way. They think, I'm the lone person in the church that's faithful to God, and all of these other scoundrels are, are not doing what they should be. And that's why this thing's not working. 
seeing we have this ministry, it is certainly shared, it is certainly owned by us. Have you taken ownership ownership to what your role in the work of God is going to be, Lord willing, in the next 20, 30, 40 years? Your lifespan? Have you taken ownership as to what God demands of you and requires of you? Few people down through history have taken ownership of a party and of a cause more than the communists have. There was a book by Billy Graham. In Billy Graham's book, it's called A Call to Commitment. Billy Graham writes about a letter he received. It was a letter from a young communist to his girlfriend, breaking off the relationship with her because of his devotion to the communist cause. Some of you maybe have heard this letter if you've, re- if you've read the book, but here's what the letter says. The letter to this pastor that was then sent to Billy Graham, it says this, and he's writing this to his girlfriend. We communists have a high casualty rate. We are the ones who get shot and hung, ridiculed, fired from our jobs, and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. Why? Because we turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists do not have time or the money for many movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes or new cars. We've been described as fanatics because our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We have a philosophy of life which no amount of money can buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves into a great movement of humanity. And he says, and if my personal life seems hard or my ego appears to suffer through subordination to the party, then I am adequately compensated by the thought that each of us in this small way is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. There is one thing in which I am in dead earnest about, and that is the communist cause. It is my life my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my bread, my meat. I work at it in the daytime. I dream about it at night. Its hold on me grows, not lessens as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, looks, ideas, actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude towards it. I've already been in jail because of my ideals and if necessary, I am ready to go before the firing squad. Here's a guy saying those kinds of things about the communist party. Breaking off a relationship with his girlfriend because he says everything in my life is going to be brought into subordination to the communist cause. As I read that letter, I thought, boy, do I even know? Could I even, could I even list on both hands the number of Christians I know that would be willing to say that about their relationship with Jesus Christ? They're, they're so committed to say, in this lifespan that I have, in this opportunity on planet Earth that God has given me, I will be consumed 
with my obligations to Christ to the same extent as that man was to the Communist Party. When I read that letter, is that how you feel about your responsibility to serve Jesus Christ? Do you feel so strong about your responsibility to live a life of faithfulness to Jesus Christ and service for Him that you'd be willing to say, to read that letter back or to even write that letter from the Christian perspective? Boy, what an an amazing thing that is. We oftentimes, I don't think, are willing to do that. The reason why we're not willing to do it is because I believe that we have created too many safety nets in our life. When Julius Caesar landed on the shores of Britain with his Roman legions, he took a bold and decisive step. As his men got off the boats, he ordered them to halt on the edge of the cliffs of Dover, and he commanded his troops to look below at the waters, and there, to their amazement, they saw that every ship they had crossed the channel in was engulfed in flames. And here's what he said. Caesar deliberately cut off any possibility of retreat. Now that his soldiers were unable to return to the continent, there was nothing left for them to do but to advance and to conquer, and that is exactly what they did. Imagine that. The problem is, too many of us in the Christian life, when we launch out to serve, we have too many possibilities of retreat. We've got to burn those boats, those bridges, those things. Whatever it is in your life that's going to hold you back from serving Jesus Christ, you've got to be willing to burn it. In fact, Jesus said, if you don't forsake father and mother, houses, you can't be my disciple. Unless you're willing to go to the utmost degree because ministry is shared and ministry has to be owned by you. But, but here's the other thing. Ministry needs to be transparent. Look at what it says in verse number 2. It says, but we've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And if you have been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you learn very quickly how to become what I consider to be a polished Christian. And what I mean by that is we learn all the right statements to make. We throw in an amen here and there, right? We say things like, I'll be praying for you. We have no intention to pray for that person. You ever done that? That's something that, that is, is a big one with me that I constantly have to be aware of. Just got an email yesterday from a friend that had a, contra- a very controversial meeting that he had to have with somebody and uh, this person was not saved, but was very upset with, with him and with some other people in their ministry. And he emailed me and said, Matt, and to other people as well on this bailing list, he said, listen, the problem here is that I'm coming in here hoping the Holy Spirit to guide and give evidence. But he goes, this man doesn't have the Holy Spirit within him because he's not saved. And when I got that email, sometimes I can read emails and then I'm, I'm in the middle of something else, so I keep doing it. I had to stop right there and just spend some time praying for that man. And then I sent him a little note and I said, I just want you to know that I prayed for you right now. I didn't make a promise to pray for him because, boy, I've broken a lot of those promises. 
Have you ever done that? Said you're going to pray for somebody? Haven't done it? And, and so Paul, Paul says there's, there's some things that you've got to consider as you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to make you effective as you own this ministry and as you share this ministry one with another. Here's the first one. You've got to be willing to renounce. Transparency involves renouncing. Because it says in verse 2, having renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. And the idea here is it's two words. The word renounce, it means to disown. And the word dishonesty, it refers to the secret hidden sins in the recesses of the heart. You know what's going you know to cause you to fail in ministry? It's not going to be the obvious sin. It's going to be that hidden sin. That, that thing that's going to trip you up and hold you back your whole life if you don't deal with it. And it's likely not something that anybody will ever know about. Except for you. And Paul says, if we're going to own this ministry and share it, we've got, we got to renounce those things. We have to be willing to disown the things in our life that are going to cause us to be tripped up. I've told this story, I think, in, in some of my classes before, but it's one of my favorite stories. I once heard a Haitian pastor, um, and I think I, the first time I heard this is when I began as a youth pastor, there was a man that was an anesthesiologist at McMaster University, a Haitian man. And he told me this story about a Haitian pastor, and he said, the Haitian pastor told him this story, and I says, I never forgot it. And he says, there was a man that wanted to sell his house or excuse me, that had a house, and a man came to him and wanted to buy the house. And the original owner of the house said, uh, I, I don't really want to sell the house, but the man said, I'd like to buy the house. Here's, here's what I could uh, give you for it. And the man says, well, listen, that's not enough money anyway. So he thought about it for a while, and the, original, the owner of the house said, I'll tell you what, I will sell you the house for the price that you have given, except I want to re- maintain ownership of one peg in the house. And these are, this is not a house that you and I have. You know, it'd be a lot more shabby. He said, one peg. There was one peg protruding in the inside of the house over top of the door. He says, I want to maintain ownership of that peg. man says, you want to maintain ownership of that peg? He said, yeah, that's all I require. He said, sure. So years later, the original owner of the house comes back and he says, I want my house back. man says, you're not going to get your house back. He said, I'll give you more money than what you gave me for it. He goes, it doesn't matter what you give me, I'm not going to give you the house. So the man went out and he found the carcass of a dead animal. And he put a string around the neck of the dead animal and he hung the dead animal on his peg. And after, you know, a day or two, nothing, nothing extraordinary happened. You can imagine after a week or two <laughs> what would happen in that little house. Eventually the stench became so great that that owner of the house had no choice but to sell the house back to the original owner. And here's what that Haitian pastor said. If you leave Satan with even one peg of sin untouched in your life, he will come back and he will hang his rotting garbage on it. And he will make it an unfit habitation for Christ. I never forgot that story. And I thought, boy, how many little pegs do we maybe leave untouched in our lives and say, I can leave this here only to have Satan come. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to hang his rotting garbage on it. 
going to destroy your life. And Paul says you got to renounce the hidden things of dishonesty because that's what transparency involves. But it also involves not only renouncing, it involves respecting. Listen to what it says here in verse number 2. It says, Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's why training and getting training in the Word of God is so important. Because in order to respect the Word of God in your life the way you need to respect it, you need to know it. And the problem is that there are too many Christians that know just about enough about the Bible to make them dangerous, but they don't know near enough to make them useful. And, and that's a possibility in your life. That's why it's so important to be in a place like this. To get training. So that you can learn by your knowledge of God's Word to respect it. Because there's some words here that are interesting. Paul says, you don't want to walk in craftiness. That means trickery, subtlety. You don't want to handle the Word of God deceitfully. It means to tamper with. In ancient times, it referred to the dishonest practice of, a, of diluting wine. When somebody said it, it wasn't diluted. And, and genuine ministry will never take place when people are in sly deceit, tampering with the Word of God. And sometimes they do it because they simply don't know it. They don't understand it. And the final thing, and then I'm going to be done, is transparency involves revealing God's Word. And this is a twofold point. It involves revealing God's Word and relinquishing our reputations to God. Notice what it says in in, in, later on in that verse, it says, not handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth. That is the revealing of God's word. Now here's the second one. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That's the relinquishing of our reputations to God. You see, in order to be transparent, we need to be a revealer of God's word. And in order to be transparent, we need to be willing to commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. The problem with that is ministry carries with it a vulnerability. Because as you're serving the Lord, sometimes people are going to think things of you and say things of you and write letters to you. And, uh, and they don't have the facts necessarily. And they, they don't really know necessarily what they're talking about. And, and yet, and, and even in the short time that I have been the president, I mean... Sometimes I have to sit when I get letters and things and I have to think about it and sometimes I have to throw out the letter that I was going to write back to him because <laughs> it wouldn't have been good. <laughs> and you just got to sometimes come to the place where you say, Lord, I'm going to just relinquish this to you. This, this is not about my reputation. This is about your work. And so I'm going to, I'm going to give that to you. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 2.23 of Jesus, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. That's the attitude that we need to have. And my challenge, my my heartbeat for you in the last few weeks as I've been praying for you students, some of you are are graduating, some of you are midstream, and some of you are maybe wrestling with what what God wants to do with your life and uh, what you ought to do and the only, I can't answer those questions for you. The only thing I can say for certainty is I truly believe that God needs many more people 
in ministry serving him than he has right now. That's all I know. It, it, it's painstakingly clear that that's the truth because with 7 billion people on this planet, if you're not willing to be one of the people that's going to say, I'll, I'll, I'm willing, then who's God going to count on? You're, you're, you're the individuals, and I don't mean to make you prideful, but because you've been training, you're the individuals that are, that are at the top echelon, at least at the place where, where you're available where you're willing, where you've at least been trained to a certain extent to be used of God. Now the question is, what are you going to do with what God has given you? What are you going to do? Are you going to waste it? Talk to Pastor Larry Wiles just there on the weekend. He's a grad of our school from 1962, I think. 61 or 62. Pastored in the same church now for 25, 30 years. And he, this is what he asked me. And he's a very straightforward kind of guy. Doesn't pull any punches. He said to me, are there as many people going into ministry today from MBBI as there was when I was in school? And his, his day and age is all these black and white pictures right out here. Where when he was in school, and I don't know how he knows this, but he seemed pretty confident. He said a third of the people in my class went into under the mission field. A third of them went into pastoral ministry, and a third of them went back to work. 66% of them went into full-time ministry. That's a big number. And he said, are, are as many people going in the ministry now as, as when I was in school? And I said, Pastor Wiles, the short answer to that question is no. I said, in fairness, though, I don't think that necessarily is something that's just a reflection on MBBI. I think it's a reflection on probably most places. And then, and then the attitude that he had is this. He, he said, why do you suppose that is? And I said to him one thing. I said, one thing I know for certain. I do not accept the fact that God was just calling more people to ministry back then than he is now. When they had half as many people on planet Earth. I don't believe that for a second. I don't think it's that God isn't calling as many people. I think it's just that people aren't responding to the call of God. And I said, we want to change that. We want to, we want to impact the, and, and, and get down to the heart of people so they leave MBBI not simply with a full head, of, a head full of academics, but with a heart that's burning to serve Jesus Christ. And this is the time when you need to be wrestling with those issues in your life. What are you going to do? And I don't know what God has called all, each of you to do. We already, ha- we already know what happens when you try to be a prophet. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what God's called you to do. But I, I do know one thing, that God is looking for people. He's looking for people. And I hope that you will at least just get on your face before God and say, do you want me to be one of those people that is going to give my whole life to serving you? And maybe God has a different plan for you, a different you know, he wants you to venture off into something else. I don't know. But, but I, I think it warrants you getting serious and getting on your knees before God and wrestling with these things. I had to do that. When I came to Bible school, I had some plans for my life that I had to just relinquish to God. And now in hindsight, if you were to ask me, do you regret doing that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I know now the hand of God in my life like never before. And so we need to get serious with God. And I hope that you are willing to do that in your life 
We're, we're coming to the end of this school year, and I hope that this is the time for you. Don't coast, but get serious with God and seek, seek His direction for your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You, Lord, for Your, your goodness. Thank You for, Lord, Your call in my life. I've seen You work in, in a great way in my life, and I just thank You for that. And Lord, I can't help but think that in, in this room full of these students, that you have your hand upon many of them. And it's possible that some of them are fighting that right now. Not willing to relinquish wholly to you. Lord, content to have their training here and then to go on with the things that they have planned for their life. But Lord, I pray that you will uh, just make your calling so very clear and heavy upon their life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.